morning. Welcome to the Church of the Palms. My name is Jean Asakura, and I serve as a shepherding deacon in the congregation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As we prepare for worship, let us bow our heads in prayer. In the beginning, O God, you fashioned a universe. Each star and planet had its beginning in you. Out of the void, you brought light and life. Through eons of creativity, you have acted, and today we are here, inheritors of an amazing process. Tiny specks in the limitless reaches of time and space. And you are here, waiting to greet us. As you acted in our baptism, you are still to make all things new within us and among us. Let your light awaken us and your spirit empower us for faithful living. Amen. Now, as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
stand for the call to worship. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the land. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Let us worship God. With joy in our hearts, we worship God. With guilt and sorrow, we confess our sins. With confidence in a merciful God full of grace and love, we ask for forgiveness. Let us pray the prayer of confession together. Creator God, you have created us, but we have chosen to go our own way. You have reclaimed us but we have, by our arrogant attitudes and actions, rejected the claim. You have sent your Holy Spirit to break into our controlled and unimaginative routines, and we have not appreciated that burst of creative energy. We are ready now, ready to admit that our ways are full of dangerous byways. Our mistakes and failures have often come because in our false pride, we have not listened to you. 
Save us again by your forgiving love. In Jesus' name, amen. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. I declare to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And now may the God of mercy, who forgives all sins, strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. down through the ages, let us say what we believe as written in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now we invite you to share the peace and love of Christ as you greet one another. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome on this wonderful warm day here in Florida. 
We are so glad that you're with us. I see these sweaters on and these coats on, and so hopefully our gathering together will warm us up. Though uh, we are glad to have this morning the Westminster College Choir. Give them a round of applause. Yes, welcome them. We are delighted to have them here from my alma mater. And uh, make me proud, please, I desperately ask. No, we are, uh, and, and the news is that it's in New Wilmington, Pennsylvania, where Westminster College is, it is two below zero this morning. So um, all things are relative, right? So we are delighted, and we are especially delighted to have President Kathy Richardson, who is here with us this morning. Would you please stand and say hello to everybody from Westminster College? Yes, yes. <laughs> Vice President Matt Stinson as well. Say hello, Matt. Yes, good to have you here. And we would love for you to join us this afternoon for a 4 p.m. concert here in the sanctuary. And uh, you'll get a little taste of uh, their singing this morning. But we would love to have you come back this afternoon at 4 o'clock. There's a reception just prior to that at 2.30 that you're welcome to come to as well. And uh, I know that you will not be disappointed. So we're grateful that we can be together in worship this morning. Please pass the friendship pads over to your neighbors. Uh, while we call it your attention to a couple of other things, we have our God in Hollywood class that's continuing. And to, uh, this week we're looking at Grand Canyon, the movie Grand Canyon, which is, uh, provokes a lot of spiritual themes that will be good for us to talk about this Wednesday evening at 6.30. Next Sunday, we'll be looking at our student sponsorships, and uh, we'll be having students leading our worship uh, throughout the course of the morning, and so you won't want to miss that and be prepared to support this very vital part of our ministry here, our ministry to middle school and uh, high school students. Uh, next two weeks from today, we have a congregational meeting just at the end of the morning at 12 o'clock after our last service, and we'll have the chance to uh, celebrate a wonderful year and look ahead to a year that's to come. And really, this past year has really been an exceptional year, uh, much to do with your generosity. We finished the year with fully funding all of our ministries and mission partners with a balanced budget. That, on top of the fact that we were able to give very generously to uh, Hurricane Irma relief, you responded to almost $20,000 worth of that as well as uh, supporting our food pantry with the challenge of our foundation for a total of $65,000, $20,000 from the foundation and $45,000 from the congregation. So, and that having missed an entire Sunday while we hunkered down in our houses during a hurricane going through. So we are so thankful. So we'll be able to celebrate that and we'll be able to look ahead not only to the new Palm Center that's going up and your generosity toward that, but to so many ministries that we're looking forward to uh, over the course of this year to come. So many, many, many thanks. Speaking of Westminster College, we have a Westminster College graduate with us this morning who is not a stranger to many of you, John Cairns, who was our uh, interim pastor for several uh, year and a half or so uh, prior to my coming. So John, come on up and share with us a little bit about Peace River Presbytery. Please welcome John. Uh, thank you, Steve. If I look familiar to you, it's because it's about 10 years ago that I was here. The problem is I've only got a six-month memory at this point in my life. <laughs> so you may remember me, but I've forgotten all of you. So. <laughs> now, we'll try to do a little better with that. I am here this morning on behalf of Peace River Presbytery 
to say, first of all, thank you, and to say a little bit about Peace River Presbytery so you have a little better understanding of this entity which surrounds you and 36 other congregations here in Western Florida. Presbytery stretches from Bradenton in the north down to Naples in the south, all along the west coast of Florida, and as I said, 37 congregations. What you really need to know about the Presbytery is in lots of ways, it functions the same way a church does. Most of the real work of Presbytery is done by volunteers. Does that sound familiar to you? And, and so we depend upon the fact that people out of these various congregations do come forward and serve in committees that sound very much like the committees that you have in the local church, Committee of Trustees, Committee of Property, Committee of Programming, and so on and so forth. I'm here this morning as a representative of Church of, of, of the uh, Committee on Ministry, and uh, the fact that we have that sort of function in Presbytery is so that we can look after the pastors who are, by the way, members of Presbytery and not members of a local church. So when I ask you about the membership in Presbytery, I will tell you that, in fact, there are 132 members in this Presbytery, 132 ministers. Now you say, wait, you said there are 37 churches. What are you doing with 130? Everybody comes down here to retire. You do, we do too, I do too. So a lot of these 132 people are in fact retired pastors who have moved to this part of the world and therefore become part of this presbytery. So with the work of these pastors and lay people like yourselves out of the 37 churches, we try to do the work that relates to this whole area. That includes particularly some mission work which we do. And so I wanted to be able to tell you and thank you for the work that you do on behalf of Mission Peniel and uh, Bethel Farm Worker Ministry. Both of these programs work with migrants in the central Florida area, and also for the work at Cedar Kirk Camp and Conference Center, which is sponsored by this presbytery and to which members of, of the churches go for various retreats and summer camp experiences. So for all of that, I say thank you. The presbytery continues to try to do its work affirming congregations, connecting disciples in mission, and to be the body of Christ together. And in all those things, we are grateful for your constant support. Thank you very much. Joshua, the battle of Jericho. 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 Jo
battle of Jericho, and the walls come tumbling down. The battle of Jericho, Joshua, fit the battle. The battle of Jericho, Joshua, fit the battle of Jericho. Jericho, Jericho, Joshua, fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls come tumbling down. The battle of Jericho, Joshua, fit the battle. The battle of Jericho. Talk about your kings of Gideon. Talk about your men of Saul. Shall I run my good old Joshua? The battle of Jericho. That morning, Joshua. The battle of Jericho. 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 The battle of Jericho
so that all may have their rightful place in your world. To this end, O God, we pray for those who are struggling for sustenance, for those who line up at our food pantry, for those whom we support in Kirkuk, Iraq, fearing what sectarian violence may bring to their doorsteps. We pray for those we support who are migrant workers in South Florida, who wonder about the next season of harvest and what they may be paid. We pray for those who visit the Resurrection House who have had to spend a night like last night on the streets of Sarasota. And we pray for those who lay heavy upon our hearts, those we know who are sick and troubled and worried. Sustain them, lift their burdens, and remind them that you are the one true sustenance, the one who promised to be with us until the close of the age, the one who turned water into wine, even Jesus the Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now continue our worship through the presentation of our tithes and gifts and offerings.
us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the generosity of this congregation, those who strive to follow you with their words, their actions, and their gifts. We pray, O oh God, that this offering is acceptable to you. Bless and multiply these gifts to be used for your glory. Amen. And if the children would like to come forward, I would like to beat Maddie to the seat. You didn't even run today. Hi. Are you a little cold? Yeah, it's a little cold. But it's beautiful because we get tomorrow off, don't we? Don't we? Yes. Our preschool is closed. Our office is closed. And I think you guys don't even have to go to school, right? Yes. Excellent. All right. So I have a question for you. If this bottle of water could be turned into your favorite drink, what would you turn it into? All right, Cynthia, what would you turn it into? The drink at Publix, it's called ice. Ice from Publix, excellent. What else? What would you turn it into? Sprite. Sprite, love it. Then what would you turn it into, buddy? Orange juice. Orange juice, I mean, that's even kind of healthy. That's pretty good. All right, one more, Moxie. What would you turn it into? Sparkling cider. Oh, nice. Sparkling cider. My husband and I were talking, and we were thinking, like, if we could turn this water into anything, we would turn it into a chocolate milkshake. Oh, oh yeah. So that would be a pretty good trick, right? If we could turn water into a chocolate milkshake. Well, you're not going to believe this, but there's a story kind of like that in the Bible, but it wasn't a trick. It was a miracle. And here's how the story goes. John tells us that Jesus is at a wedding with his disciples and something terrible happens. The worst thing happens that could ever, ever happen. They ran out of wine. Can you believe it? So, okay, you don't really care that they ran out of wine. I get that. What if you were at a birthday party? The best birthday party ever. What could they run out of that would make it just be awful? Camille. Cake. What was that? Cake. Cake. If they ran out of birthday cake, it's like, okay, Davis, you get a piece of cake. Cynthia, you get a piece. Oh, sorry, we're out of the cake for everybody else. Well, that's kind of what it was like. It was embarrassing to the host, and they're like, what are we going to do? Well, Jesus heard about it, and he saw these six stone jars over against the wall. They held like 20 to 30 gallons of water. That's like 200 of these water bottles would go into those jars. And Jesus said, hey, you guys, fill those up with water. So they filled them up with water. And he goes, now, scoop it out and take it to the host of the wedding. So he took it to him. The guy drinks it. He goes, it's wine. The water was turned into wine, but not any, like, cheap Boone's Farm kind of wine. This was the most excellent wine they had ever tasted in their entire life. Well, John tells us that that was the first miracle that Jesus ever did. And you know why it was so important? Because right after he did that, the disciples believed. They believed in Jesus. They believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And because they believed, we can believe. And because we have that same story in the Bible, we can believe. But I'll tell you what, when Jesus comes back, I am going to see if he can turn water into a chocolate milkshake. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for loving us so much that you would send your only son to live among us and to perform miracles 
that show us who you are, a God of love and grace and abundance. Amen.
seated. Boone's Farm. Man, when did they stop making that stuff? So we are in the midst of a sermon series. Uh, those of you who were with us last week know that we are looking at this theme of starting over uh, appropriately in the month of January, wondering as we are perhaps ripe uh, to consider what might be a, a different course for us to take in our journey of life and in our spiritual journey, what might it mean for us to, to start over again? And last week we looked at uh, finding a new purpose and talked about to find a new purpose, you need to find a new person, uh, a new person to follow. We are all, are, in the end of the day, followers, and so it's important to pay attention to who we're following and who is the person that we're following. So we follow in this uh, journey, uh, this Christian journey, the person of Jesus Christ. And so reconnecting with our relationship with Christ, today we're going to take a look at Imagining a new future uh, as we uh, ponder the relationship we have with Christ. What kind of future does Christ uh, have in store for us? And so today we're going to take a look at this uh, story that uh, we've already had a chance to take a look at through uh, uh, the children's moment, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So let's hear the word of God as it comes to us from the Gospel of John. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. And when the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you keep the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O oh Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, for we pray this in his name. Amen. New Year's Eve, my sophomore year in high school, somehow I had managed to get my parents to agree to letting me have a New Year's Eve party at our house. I must have caught them in a weak moment. But they agreed that I could have this party, and not only that, I got them to agree that they would lock themselves in their bedroom for the night. <laughs> not that I didn't love my parents, it's just that I was 16 years old. 
Now, in my mind, this was shaping up to be the party to end all parties. Most of my friends have been invited and agreed to come. Good, good music and good food have been selected. The stereo dial turned up to the appropriate highest volume. This was going to be the party of the century. On top of all, I had invited Julie Lepakis as my date, and she had accepted. Julie Lepakis, as they say, was out of my league. But in a weak moment, she had accepted, and this was going to be a great night. But a half hour before the guests were to arrive, my father, God rest his soul, offered to build me a fire in the downstairs fireplace where the party was to take place. What's a winter's party without a fire, he said. I was ambivalent about the idea, but in the end gave him permission to build us a fire. So downstairs he went while I took care of some business upstairs, and about 10 minutes later I began to smell something. A couple minutes later I began to see something, smoke. So I raced to the downstairs door, opened it, and there came black smoke billowing up the stairs. I made my way down the stairs and through the smoke, coughing and sputtering, and could see my father trying to douse the flames that were licking up out of the fireplace. I forgot to open the flue, he cried. I ran for more water, we got the fire out, and the whole house was filled with smoke. My teenage life was flashing in front of my eyes. <laughs> And so on this 10-degree Michigan night, we opened all the windows to the house, sprayed Lysol over the walls, even put saran wrap onto the food to keep the smoke and Lysol from getting into it. Let me tell you, if you want to impress your friends with a party, knock the temperature down to about 50 inside the house, spray Lysol over the place, keep saran wrap on the food. My friends were so impressed. <laughs> but then in came Julie Lepakis and all my troubles seemed to disappear. The party began. A half hour later, Julie Lepakis got a nosebleed <laughs> and began walking around the house with her head staring up into the ceiling, and after a half hour decided she had to go home. Things did not get any better after that. I think I ended the night with just me and my father watching the ball drop with Dick Clark in front of, you guess, a, a fire. So it was to this moment I turned when I began to read again the story of the wedding at Canaan. It is likely the most famous or infamous wedding in history, at least the one most remembered. Remembered first for what went wrong. You know, I tell every couple that I marry that at least one thing will go wrong with their wedding, and if they can get their minds around that, then they won't get so anxious when that wrong thing happens. And believe me, I've got a long list of things, wrong things that have happened in weddings, which gives me little comfort as we prepare for our daughter's wedding next month. <laughs> but in this first century Jewish wedding, the wine runs out. Now, I don't have time to go into all the details of what a first century Jewish wedding looked like, but suffice it to say, it beat a high school New Year's Eve party. These parties didn't last a few hours, they lasted a few days. And it was the expectation that fine, wine and food would keep coming. No empty platters, no empty bottles. It was the code of decent hospitality, a sign of even blessing put upon the couple. Maybe you start with the expensive wine first, with their palates being more sensitive, and then slip in the cheap stuff later on, but wine you shall have upon request. 
So the wine runs out. You know, things will go wrong with a wedding, but this cannot be one of them. Shame, embarrassment, disgrace begin to descend upon this poor family. And that's when the mother of Jesus goes to Jesus and says, they have no wine. Now, in this moment, Jesus hesitates. He's been called on to pray at these things, but not to tend the bar. <laughs> but it's more than that. Now is not the time, Jesus says. And what follows is this rather pregnant pause. What's going to happen? Jesus isn't doing anything right away. What's going to happen? What will the future hold for this young couple and their family? And what we learn, and maybe what Jesus learns, even in the midst of the story, is that Jesus cannot help himself but to take the circumstances at hand and somehow make them into something that brings some hope, some encouragement, and some healing. Jesus cannot help himself but to take the circumstances at hand and somehow make them into something that bring hope, that brings encouragement, that brings healing. So what do we got, Jesus says? Well, we got some water, we got some jars, we got a, a wine steward, we got some thirsty people, we got some... Uh, panicked family members. So let's see what we do. Let's fill the jars with water. Let, let's, let's then find a steward and find the steward so that the steward can taste the water. And let's see if we can get this water to become some wine. Let's let the steward taste the water that has become wine. And let's let the steward give his blessing. And let's see if we can't bring some hope and encouragement and some healing to this party. And so that's exactly what happens. Water, jars, steward, blessing. And before you know it, people are walking around with their glasses full and saying, wow, this is some vintage. What year did you say this was? <laughs> and the young couple will say, that's the year it all went wrong. This we shall learn is Jesus' M.O. To take our present circumstance, either of fortune or misfortune, and try to make it into something that brings hope and encouragement and healing, to produce, shall we say, a fine vintage. It won't be long, we know, before Jesus and his disciples look out upon a few thousand, a few thousand hungry souls, and Jesus tells his disciples to come up with a meal plan. And the disciples, not knowing really what he's talking about, commandeer a little boy's lunch, and they, who, and they say to Jesus, well, we've got five loaves and two fish, and, and Jesus takes the circumstances at hand and makes them into something that brings hope and encouragement and healing. Twelve baskets left over a fine vintage. The woman comes to the well with her empty bucket and wounded past, 
And Jesus takes the circumstances of her life and makes them into something of hope and encouragement and healing. And she goes back home, and the home folks see a different woman, and they say, whoa, what a different vintage. The woman caught in adultery gets thrown in front of, front of Jesus, surrounded by a bunch of bloodthirsty, angry men who managed not to be so angry with the male accomplice in this adultery. That's another sermon. And Jesus takes the circumstances at hand and makes them into something of hope and encouragement and healing. To the men, he says, let the first without the sin be the one to cast the stone. And to the woman, she sa he says, go and sin no more. Go and live into your vintage. It just seems to be the way that Jesus works. He takes the mixed ingredients of our lives, the unsorted circumstances, and he can't help himself but to try to take what we have and make it into some sort of rich vintage for the purposes of healing and encouragement. And isn't that the way that it often goes, that our best opportunity to become agents of healing and encouragement in the world come from not getting a whole thing right, not getting, you know, the perfect ingredients together, but from the winemaker who takes whatever conditions that prevail and makes them into a rich and unique vintage for us then to share with the world. A college friend of mine who was born with a cleft palate and over the course of his childhood and young adulthood underwent well over 20 surgeries to little by little correct and repair his craniofacial issues. Would it be a surprise or not a surprise to learn that what he gave his life over to after college was to the research and teaching and clinical work as a university professor in the field of craniofacial issues and speech issues in children. Hmm, a rich vintage. Andrea Yeager was the youngest woman's tennis player to be seated at Wimbledon. She had risen up the ranks of professional tennis long before she made it halfway through her teenage years, and with her rise came the semblance, the loss of any semblance of childhood and family. Her dad was the stereotypical overbearing coach, and her friends, well, she didn't really have any friends. Instead, she was forced into the pressures and competition that would cripple the strongest of adults. And before she got to the end of her teenage years, she had grown bitter and disillusioned and in the end burned out. So would it be a surprise or not a surprise to learn that she took all of her tennis winnings and started a foundation and a camp for children with cancer? and that she's given every day of her life since leaving tennis to be with those children and to give them a little joy while they face the scariness of life. Hmm, a rich vintage. I remember reading an article in the Wall Street Journal a few years ago entitled Breakfast with St. Peter. It was written by Bob Brody, a New York man who had shown up for work one morning and was informed that his job had been eliminated and was shown the door in the afternoon. 
And after getting over the shock, he reached out to his network of associates and friends to start the process of trying to find a new job. And one friend, Peter, with whom he had lost contact over the years, asked him to breakfast. And at breakfast began to share from his own experience of losing and finding jobs, ideas on what Bob could do. But it wasn't just one breakfast, it was many breakfasts, many coaching sessions, many emails, many phone calls. And then one breakfast, Peter showed up not looking quite himself and was forced to reveal his secret that all the while helping his friend Bob, he had been fighting prostate cancer. Why, Bob said, why all this time to help me? Oh, Peter said, it takes one who needs encouragement to know how much someone else might need the same. Hmm, a rich vintage. Have you ever stopped to think that the events and circumstances of your life can be turned into the ingredients of a better and more meaningful future? Each one of us, with the help of this winemaker, has the potential, with whatever circumstances that have been dealt us, to become a rich vintage, to somehow imagine that all of what has happened or what is happening right now to me are the ingredients for someone else's hope and healing. When George Carlin, the great and somewhat profane comedian, died 10 years ago, which is hard to believe, out in print came not only the story of his life, but the stories of the lives that Carlin quietly touched. As with most comedians, his comedy was born out of a life of pain, kicked out of summer camp, dropped out of high school, demoted in the Air Force, drug abuse, dying a thousand deaths in front of a thousand audiences. But from such circumstances came a brilliant comedian. So would it be a surprise or not a surprise to hear the story of Liz Mayel, who at the age of 15 wrote to 45 comedians seeking advice on how to be a comedian. And she heard back from two. One wrote and told her to become an English major. And the other phoned her, George Carlin. And he talked with her a while and gave her some tips. A couple years later, they met in person, and Carlin opened up his laptop and showed her all the files in which he stored all of his material. And every few months, they would talk on the phone, and Carlin became her biggest fan. The last they talked was two days before he died. A rich vintage. You know how a wine connoisseur will take a small pour of wine and hold it to the light and swirl it and sniff it and sip it and sniff it and then tell you, you know, all the elements, all the flavors and the hints that she detects? You know, a little oak, a little raspberry, a little pepper, a little apricot. And it's all been the result of the vintage elements, right? The, the rain and the soil and the sun and the storage and the bottling, you name it. Well, don't you wonder if it isn't the case that the compendium of our lives gets poured into a wine glass and held up to the light and swirled and sniffed and sipped and with it come hints of experiences and circumstances, past and present. 
And if we let it, if we, if we let the Savior, the, the winemaker, might it be turned into a rich vintage? And folks will say, hmm, this is, this is good. I detect a, a brilliant piano recital in the fourth grade. I detect a failed New Year's Eve party in high school. I detect an admission to the University of Florida, or better yet, Westminster College. I detect a, I detect a best friend who died of cancer. I detect the joys and challenges of raising three children. I detect a difficult divorce. I detect a, a health scare. I detect a gold watch after 30 years with the company. I detect seven grandchildren. But most of all, they'll say, I detect the winemaker. I detect the winemaker. He always seems to make the best wine. Hints of hope and encouragement and healing. A most rich vintage. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.